1: I'm Oak Voss here from the Christmas dot com. The dot com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. Oh my gosh, it's Monday. Uh if you're watching this fifteen years now from now, you're like, it's not Monday, Chris, on YouTube. Uh guys, welcome to the big show, our family, the Chris Voss Show family podcast that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother-in-law, that time you forgot to take out the garbage. I don't know what that means, but uh you know what you did, and uh, she'll never forget it. which, you know, whatever, you probably earned it. So try and pay better attention and do your chores or whatever. I don't know. That's what your mom told me too. Uh, Guys, we have an amazing author and gentleman on the show. Uh, He is both an author and a gentleman. I have that as certified by the Gentleman Authority um, Council. Uh, that was founded in 1883. The shit that I make up in the ramble is extraordinary sometimes, even to me. And uh, so, therefore, uh, you will be learning much from him, not only about gentleman ease, is there such a thing as gentleman ease? Uh, and also his extraordinary book and authorship that he has put into it and uh, we're going to learn about his life and stories about his life because that's what you're going to learn about for 15 years we've been bringing in the chris voss show the billionaires the ceos the 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 pulitzer prize winners the newsmakers you know all the great authors and then there's just little old me with the mic
0: <laughs>
1: i don't know what that means uh anyway guys we have kevin w jones on the show with us today his hottest new book uh came out june 6 2023 Opening the Corporate Closet, Transforming Biases to Gay Advancement in Corporate America. We're going to talk about biases and all that uh, stuff that goes on and how to overcome them and how to build a more inclusive world. Uh, and he uh, is a guy, he's a gentleman, as I mentioned before, but he's also a native Texan. Uh, he graduated from Baylor University then studied economics in France and he then began his career as a French translator, or a major telecom for a major telecommunications company, which took him to London. There, he moved into a public affairs role, working closely with UK members of Parliament. Uh, when he returned to Dallas, he began his career with Ernst Young. As he progressed through the ranks, he discovered his passion for helping people to do what they do best. Along the way, he earned his International Coaching Federation service certification and holds the Associate Certified Coach credential. Uh, and he has the Gentleman credential as well, I hear. Uh, in his last role with the EY, he became America's Head of Leadership Services, where he uh, led external <laughs> client engagement around EY's leadership, development, service offering offerings, including group and individual coaching. And uh, after retiring uh, in January of 2023, uh, he founded Concilium Coaching, a boutique coaching right. firm dedicated helping leaders in the LGBTQ community and their allies, where he puts his passion to play every day. And now he's on the show. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How are
0: you? Hey, Chris. I'm great. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here today. There you go.
1: And it's an honor to have you as well. Uh, thanks for coming on the show with your gentleman ease. Stuff that I make up in the thing. I think I'm going to run with that forever. Uh, i got to go to Google that and see if I just create a new word. Uh, give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, conciliumcoachingllc.com. That's a mouthful, but conciliumcoachingllc.com. It's Latin for collaboration and guidance. And I'm a big Latin geek, so that explains why you got to have such a challenging thing to look up online.
1: There you go. So uh, let's uh, get a 30,000 overview of uh, the book and what's inside.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the book is kind of came about because of an idea that I had a few years ago working in corporate America. Mm-hmm. It focuses on the challenges that people in the LGBTQ community face as they mm-hmm. work their way up the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the challenges are th- barriers that they put in front of themselves. Some of them are institutional barriers. Some of them are microaggressions. But for all sorts of reasons, people aren't making it up to the top as LGBTQ people in the same numbers, and the same representation as other minorities are.
1: Hmm. So so that's having an impact. We're still struggling with the inclusion sort of thing in the corporate world then.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that I would add is, it's uh the book also kind of takes my own life and my own experiences as somebody who's also moving who also moved up in corporate america but it kind of starts off with my childhood some of those influences because you know i always say in my coaching practice we don't just and we're this person who we are today we bring childhood and all those experiences with us and so Mm -hmm. if you up LGBTQ, you're showing up with all those experiences as well, and those have a big impact on your ability to advance based on what you tell yourself as well as what you hear from others.
1: There you go. I mean, it seems that there's inherent bias in just how humans operate. It seems, you know, but we're trying to overcome a lot of the different things. Uh, opening the corporate closet, maybe encouraging people to uh, come out of the closet if they're uh, hiding. Have you thought about sending this to Tom Cruise or John Travolta?
0: <laughs> yeah i've uh, got it john travolta has a restraining order on me so i oh, can't yes. send anything to him but oh. i'm gonna try it with uh, tom cruise kidding there you go yeah
1: send it as a massage therapist uh i've heard about that <laughs> uh anyway uh so uh give us your story give us i mean i've given a little biography on you but people like to hear your story from your words tell us how you grew up and kind of how you went through this journey that got you to where you are today
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in southeast Texas in a town called Beaumont, about an hour and a half east of Houston, right on the Louisiana border. Grew up Southern Baptist and uh, in the early mid-70s uh, was in elementary, junior high school. So picture that world. And uh, I, <laughs> I grew I, up Mormon. So, yeah, I know that. Well, there you go. We'll have to swap some, yeah. some more notes after yeah. the podcast uh, and you know, all that came with that. And uh, I, I had a great family, a uh, great childhood, except for the fact that I knew something was different about me, mm-hmm. always knew. And uh, in church, I was probably the loudest singer, the most active participant in the youth choir and youth events, yeah. trying to convince everybody that I was better than everybody else so that if they ever found out my secret, it wouldn't matter. Oh. And uh, you, know, you, you, you learn really quickly how to hide those things, especially in Southeast Texas, which is pretty much a big oil community and a lot of people who are happy to tell you why your lifestyle is wrong. And I use that word lifestyle in quotes. It's obviously not a lifestyle. You're born with it. But uh, I grew up with that and grew up learning how to hide it and uh, mm-hmm. firmly in the closet, especially when I saw how the bullies at my school treated other people. And I'll say one more thing on top of that. Yeah, if, if <clears throat> People of a certain age, like me, you're much younger, so you probably don't mm-hmm. remember this, but people of a certain age remember uh, Anita Bryant. And all of her, she was the the orange juice spokesperson in Florida. And she spoke a lot about the homosexual agenda in the 70s and how gays were trying to convert your children. Oh, wow. And I remember all this. I was, I was 10, 11 years old, and this was all at the forefront of my mind on top of, our Southern Baptist preacher preaching about the sins of homosexuality and the the abomination. So that's, that's kind of the childhood I grew up in. I mean, it's not as bleak as all that. I had a, mm-hmm. I had fun times as well. That was this environment that was immersing me in identifying new and creative ways of hiding who I was.
1: Wow. It sounds like it was quite the struggle. So what, when did you finally decide to come out and what was the proponent that, you know, made you, uh, decide to you know step into that light where you know you you were you were going to be exposed.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh it's funny because I I talk about a little bit in the book this notion of coming out more than once, uh, which is something I did, uh, and for for many people like us, and I digress for a moment, we come out a lot. But to your point, uh, I came out once and for all when I was twenty five years old. Mm-hmm. I'd come back to the U.S. from France. I was just tired. I was exhausted of trying to pretend and uh, it just got to be too much emotionally, physically. I stopped going out with old friends because I was so concerned about what they would think. Mm -hmm. And so finally I said, enough. enough is enough. I came out to all my friends, all my family and apologies. If you hear the dogs in the background, they're defending me against the UPS man. Uh, So, um, Two crazy Boston Terriers. There you but anyways, go. But anyway, so I, I finally came out once and for all, and uh, I never looked back. And the funny thing is, most of the people I came out to said, yeah, we already We already know. <laughs> we already... <laughs> <laughs> so much for like the big ant, you know, so anticlimactic. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, keeping secrets. I saw this. Oprah had something said this on the show once. Um, the secrets you keep inside are like poison. And until you let them out, Mm -hmm. they, they tend to infect you the most. Um, Mm -hmm. let me ask you this. When you were in France and overseas doing stuff before you came back to the U.S. and came out, were you able to, did you find you were more accepted there? Were you able to come out there?
0: You know, the funny thing is, uh, no, that's the short answer. Yeah. I would have thought. Well, you would, right? You'd think, oh, this is Europe. It's pretty, pretty open, pretty liberal. Mm -hmm. But if I think about the time period, this was say 1990, 91, 92. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still in a time period where you've got sort of this Latin culture and people are largely Roman Catholic. And so even in the large cities, there is this sort of sense of, uh, of machismo. And if you're gay, then you're, you're all these things, all these stereotypes. And so I pretty quickly realized when I was there that as liberal as it is in many ways from a social safety net perspective, socialized medicine and so on, when it came to those old societal norms, they were still pretty homophobic. So I stayed firmly in the closet.
1: Wow. That's that's amazing. You think about where we're at now, where we pr- we, we we're supposed to progress uh, so far that uh, we understand everything, and it's supposed to be more inclusive. But we still have more work to do, which I guess uh, leads us right back into your book. Did you did you uh, did you find that when you went to work with uh, it was Ernst and Young, I think? Yes. Yeah. Um. That uh, you know, you, you were experiencing uh sort of biases. You were trying to advance through the corporations.
0: Hmm. You know, what's funny about that time period with Ernst Young, uh, when I started there in 2005, and I was out from day one. And the Mm -hmm. big difference was uh, a lot of life had happened, but also I had a a partner by then who's my now husband, Simon. Mm -hmm. And I I said, I am not going to be unfair to him by pretending I'm somebody I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so for the very first day I was out, and from my own perspective, the what was limiting was not the firm the firm was and still is very supportive of dei efforts of Mm -hmm. people bringing what we say we bring your full self to work every day Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't so much that the firm had any limitations on me but i put some limitations on myself and part Mm -hmm. of that is and, and i talk about this in the book as well it's easy to say uh, with all due respect to Ernst & Young, it's easy to say bring your full self to work because they did encourage it. Mm-hmm. But I had I had clients, and I most of my day was spent working externally with with people in the oil and gas sector who may not have been quite as accepting of the LGBTQ community as people within the firm. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make these micro decisions all the time about how I interacted with these people, what I would tell them, what I wouldn't, because it might affect my career indirectly if they decided they didn't want to work with somebody who was gay.
1: Yeah. I, I, and it's definitely an issue. I, uh, I remember our first sexual as our company was growing and becoming large and, and, uh, expanding pretty rapidly. Um, I remember, well, we used to talk, we're like, well, it's a matter of time till somebody pulls a sexual harassment crap in the office. And uh, I remember one time my vice president walked into me and I'll just make up some names here. He goes, uh, yeah, we got a sexual harassment complaint finally. And, uh, I was like, oh, who is it? He goes, it's Bob and Doug. I'm just making up names mm-hmm. here. And I was like, Bob and Doug, do we have a, do we have a woman who works for us named Bob? <laughs> Like, I literally did. And I was like, I was like, what? Uh, There's no women's names there. And he goes, yeah, there's not. And uh, we had a gentleman who was, uh, who was, who was pretty uh, openly gay. And uh and he was sitting next to uh, in our telemarketing, and they were sitting next to a guy who was really had a problem with that <laughs> when people were gay. And uh, yeah, it was the, he was uh, it was it got all bent out of shape and almost the fisticuffs, mm. which is extraordinary because wow. you're like, you know, let people live their lives, man. Like <laughs> what do you yeah. do but, wow. uh, but you uh, know
0: that's that is more common than you think. Uh, yeah. I had my own experiences with that. And there is this notion that if you are gay, you're going to be, especially when there is a, when there's a power dynamic going mm-hmm. on. Oh, and really? somebody's Yeah. If somebody's hitting on you and they are more powerful within whatever the organizational structure is, or they perceive they have more power, mm-hmm. they think that as a gay person, you're even less likely to stir up crap than a straight person because you have more to lose. Now that's a perception. Really? And I am so glad that men are standing up more for themselves in these situations,
1: uh, and women and whoever. A, that's definitely a power narcissistic yeah. sort of Machiavellian move. I don't know.
0: Absolutely is.
1: Uh, um. So, uh, in your book, you talk about you know you going through uh, what you went through, and so it's kind of a, a a memoir, and then also some advice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the memoir part is shared some of this with the, about my childhood, growing up, coming out of the closet, getting back into the closet, kind of transitions into how we live our lives once we fully come out. Mm-hmm. And if we haven't come out, what are the reasons? What could be different if you came out? In my coaching practice, I talk about this a lot. But in the book, I don't judge at all. I, I can't walk in anybody's shoes but my own. And mm-hmm. the fact, of people who identify as LGBTQ still aren't out in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Tells me there's a bigger problem here. So the advice that I give is know yourself, know your environment, but also be aware to the possibilities of bringing your, your full self to work and what that might do for you. Back to your point about what Oprah Winfrey said When we poison ourselves like that from the inside, we continue this vicious cycle of limiting ourselves professionally. And so while I'm never going to tell anybody, you'd better come out. You need to do this for the greater cause. Mm -hmm. I do gently question and uh, highlight the value in being your full authentic self.
1: There you go. Now, does that play into what you talk about called the pink
0: camouflage? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I think about minorities, when we think about whoever, whatever minority group you bring to mind, we typically think of people who we can identify as a minority, visible minorities. So Mm -hmm. whether it's women or people of color, you know, straight off the bat who you're dealing with and you make adjustments and assessments about people. I mean, it's not just because it's a woman or somebody of color. We look at each person we see and make these micro assessments about that person. The difference, if you're gay, as LGBTQ people, we can hide who we are under certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so that translates to this notion of peak camouflage. I can hide this. If it's in my best interest, if I feel threatened, if I feel at risk, if Mm -hmm. there are one of a million different circumstances where I think I shouldn't be myself, I can hide that. And we learn that early on in life. Uh, If you grew up in, say, a family that, was homophobic. Uh, if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're black, you so if somebody decides to make a racial slur, that's pretty awful because they know you're black and they're yeah. saying it to your face. It's, yeah. it's awful regardless. But if they know this and they're saying it to your face, pretty crappy. But oh, if yeah. somebody doesn't know you're gay and they don't like gay people, they will talk about it freely. I have experienced that firsthand. And so many of us growing up, we got those signals early on that it wasn't good to be gay. We heard it firsthand and we learned how to camouflage ourselves with this peak camouflage so that we learned how better to make ourselves accepted in society.
1: I guess that's true. I mean, there are biases against people of color and women uh, that, you know, with inclusion is trying to solve in the, in the, in the marketplace. But Uh, because you can act, you can usually see who's a woman and and who is, uh, has different, uh, uh, who's, uh, has from different races, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I have a pretty good gaydar cause I, uh, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of gay friends over the years, so I can usually tell (laughs) I've learned, but, uh, um, you know, I, it, it, you know, I, I, I've been a CEO all my life. I run companies since I was 18. The one thing I learned a long time ago is I ran out of good ideas in like, what was it? 1995 or something. And, uh, and that's when I went, I need, I need you people, everyone who works for me to come up with great ideas. And I learned that I am not the arbitrator of, the, of all the great ideas in the world and probably less so as the older I get, the more the brain fogs over, um, and, and you never know where the great ideas come from. So I, I became a, a, an idea collector. And I love going to all my people and going, give me ideas. Write stuff down. I don't care what it is. Just wing it. Throw it. Give me anything. Give me something. And I've learned over the years that some of my most profitable ideas have come from people that have worked for me that sometimes you, you know, they They could be a line cook or a telemarketer, you know, some person that, that maybe isn't even the executive thing and they can have a great idea mainly because a lot of times they're maybe the forefront of the business where they're in the front line seeing what's really going on with my company that I'm not aware of. And, uh, so I'm not the arbitrator of all the great ideas and I don't think any leader really is. And so, you know, saying I don't like this person or that person for whatever different reasons, you know, unless they're just an awful human being or they're, you know, lazy worker or something. Um, but I've never uh, trying to say, well, you know, certain people don't have great ideas is, is just insane. And cutting yourself off from that, that lifeline. I mean, there's sometimes where my business has been saved because, you know, just anybody in my company comes with an idea that, that uh, I would never expect to come up with a great idea or something or, you know, just minor adjustments to my business. So it just seems to me insane that people are running with these biases um, because you just never know where good ideas are going to come from. And that's not the only reason to, to, to be inclusive. You know, there's a lot of other reasons you want people to live their full life and their true authentic self, because if they can be self-actualized in your company, they're going to they're going to do better and be better people and, and deliver better results. And now that kind of sounds like I'm just thinking of people as results or people, but they're going to be happy. You're going to be happy. And, and the world's going to be happy. How does that sound? Did I round that out nicely?
0: I I love you said that. And and I would mm-hmm. add one thing to that, which mm-hmm. is to your point, you've got people sitting around the table mm-hmm. and, and you're the leader and you're getting all these great ideas. If they all look and act like you, same background, you're probably going to get similar ideas to what you've already come up with. You mm-hmm. need that diversity around the table, like to your point, to get those great ideas.
1: Yeah. And and people bring diversity, I think, from their different journeys of life.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: there's that famous, uh, one of my favorite speeches is by Steve Jobs, and he talks about his journey of life where he failed college. Uh, I never went oh, yeah. to college. Um, and so our journeys and his aspects of looking at stuff was very different. Than most people's and you just never know people's different journeys or stories in life the things that they learned that they can apply to your business are all going to be different that's why i love the show is people come on and tell their different stories and i get to just live in the in the hybrid of of so many different variations of people's lives there's no there's no one right way. But uh, so it's great that your book uh, helps people uh, deal with uh, maybe coming out and encouraging them to live their full, authentic life. Um, you talk about the gay glass ceiling uh, being mm-hmm. real. Tell us uh, about mm-hmm. that and, and uh, what you wrote about in the book about that.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it comes from the, the notion, obviously, of uh, the glass ceiling for women. Mm -hmm. and the gay glass ceiling i I talk about it being a different type of glass and i think in many ways it can be thicker especially Mm -hmm. when you think of the intersectionality you have women who are also lesbians you've got you know you're you're not in just one group Mm -hmm. but in many cases the the reason that the gay glass ceiling is there and what i talk about is this notion again of whether it's self-limiting or whether it's being limited by forces outside of your control, you have so many other barriers to making it through to the C-suite or whatever level you want to get to in corporate America. And not only are the barriers that aren't there that you or somebody else may put in your way, but you're also looking at different societies. You may work for a multinational but that multinational may have offices in dubai or malaysia oh, wow. and you can't get those same opportunities as a straight person because it's illegal to be gay in those countries
1: that's true and so yeah.
0: you're not going to get those same opportunities for mobility for the experiences for the contributions to your organization if you can't go to those same places that straight people can go to that's and true. so even in the best organization if you're a multinational and I just use that as an example. There are many others I talk about in the book. But mm-hmm. if you're an organization and you're limited in where you can go, then you're also limited in your career opportunities.
1: There you go. That, and it's dangerous to go to those countries. It's dangerous. Absolutely. It's a life or death sometimes in some of these places. And in uh, and, and some of the community or societies there aren't aren't too uh, inclusive oriented um, yeah. the uh, so let's talk about what you do with your coaching services at concilium coaching com. Uh, tell us about some of the leadership coaching services you do you do it for the LGBT community and uh, their allies as you put it uh, talk tell us about how you service that how you provide that and some of the different opportunities you offer people
0: yeah so First of all, I start off as a fund- fundamentally a leadership coach. And whether you're LGBTQ, an ally, whatever your background is, I'm, I'm a leadership coach. And then I bring that empathy as a gay man myself to my coaching practice with the LGBTQ community. And what I tend to focus on, not exclusively, but, but largely so, mm-hmm. are the unique issues and challenges that this community face in their own career path. And that may not be laterally moving up within an organization. Often it is. It may Mm -hmm. just be navigating the politics, navigating how you deal with being gay in an organization while also trying to move up or move around. And then with the allies, a lot of the coaching comes into play when they're trying to figure out how to be more supportive of their LGBTQ colleagues Mm -hmm. at work. Challenges they may face standing up for when it would be easier to stay silent. Yeah, And all this comes into play in coaching because the idea of coaching is that, I went to the Hudson Institute, great program for coaching. And the way we learn it is we, we empty ourselves out emotionally and physically and, and uh, intellectually are there. For the individual they fill us up with what they need to talk about so that we can approach the conversations with curiosity and a desire to know more about where they're coming from and so that's the approach that i take in my coaching the difference i'll say is with the 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 further up i go in terms of the people i'm coaching so let's say c-suite or maybe a level below c What I'm often working on there are people who are either allies or very few LGBTQ community people at that level. But what I'm working with are people who are allies or people who may be my generation, Generation X, maybe some who are still baby boomers, Mm -hmm. and they're struggling. They're struggling with how to embrace the notion of this next level of diversity compared to what they entered the workforce with 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they want to do the right things. They just don't know how to go about it. And they don't want to get themselves in trouble. They don't want to get the organizations in trouble. And they want to be a more empathetic leader. And so often what I spend my time with and coaching with, with folks at that level is how to embrace that empathy. I'm not telling them they have to change their religious, their spiritual beliefs, their, their, their societal views. But if they want to be an inclusive and an empathetic leader, and I'll say that with an asterisk that I'll come back to, you. but if they want to be an inclusive and an empathetic leader, then it's in their best interest to figure out what's inside them that they can pull out in order to be able to do that and be as effective and inclusive as possible.
1: There you go. So let me ask you this. Are you seeing, uh, you know, you mentioned the boomers um, and, you know, they grew up in a generation that, you know, they had some pretty hard uh, biases and stuff and and they struggled to overcome it. Even at Gen X, you know, we I've had to, you know, we, we've had to do some cleaning of of uh, of our biases and kind of understanding the world. And there's kind of been an arc of change for us. And I think we were more kind of I don't know if we were more open minded. I don't know. It's not a show about Gen X's uh, 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 personalities, but are you seeing? My understanding is is what they say is that the new generations, like millennials and and I think Gen X on the cusp and and the new Gen Z's um are are you seeing that they're more open to everybody and more inclusive and uh the future is looking brighter on that pathway is that happening the way everyone says it is
0: yeah i would say the short and short yes and and i have been very fortunate at ernst and young by the very nature of our organization i've been able to work with people straight out of college all the way up to people who are retiring at 60 62 years old and so i've seen multiple generations and what I notice consistently is people in their twenties. This is this is just a non-issue, entirely yeah. non-issue. Nobody even cares. I'm so used to that that dramatic music playing when I say my husband. You know, dun dun dun, uh, right? And and they don't <laughs> they don't care. They they just they're like, okay, well, yeah, tell him I said hi. And the older you get, the more you will see some sort of reaction. But even so, what I am noticing, and this is where I say hats off, the, the younger generation isn't taking crap either from the, uh, from the older ones. And yeah. they are more comfortable with calling them out on something that they believe is fundamentally, ethically, morally wrong. And they see that bias and that discrimination against the LGBTQ community as morally wrong. Uh, and I've seen this happen time and time again. Again, maybe Ernst & Young is a bubble, but, I do believe, to your point, overall, they're few as bright with the these younger generations coming out because it truly doesn't matter to them anymore
1: there you go i It's good that we're progressing that way. I had somebody tell me one time we were talking about politics. And they're like it just may have to be that a certain older generation has got to fade away um and and that's just how progress has to work. There's some people you, that really struggle with. Uh, you know if you spend a lifetime what's the old uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks you can really um you can lead a horse to water and make them drink you just have to feed them a lot of salt
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta use that that is that is t-
1: feel free That's i stole good. it from somebody yeah. on twitter that told it to me you know i think i was joking <laughs> I about how you can't lead a horse water and they're like you can you just feed lots of salt that thing will drink water
0: uh <laughs> give it a salt <laughs> nick <laughs>
1: got to get a salt liquor. I think I'll find water for sure. Um, so another topic you talk about in your book that I was going to have you expand on, what is a gay decision diamond? What is that?
0: Right. So imagine you're meeting somebody for the first time. And i use the example uh, that actually happened to me. I'm sitting next to somebody on the plane. And this was right after the Supreme court ruled on gay marriage in 2015. Mm-hmm. they started ranting about that marriage is adam wow. and eve not adam and steve <laughs> right that that old chestnut isn't that beautiful it's my favorite yeah. and i had i was faced with the decision i'm on a four hour flight to boston yeah i love it yeah and so i'm on I'm, I'm faced with this decision decision diamond like in process maps if you work in uh if you work in uh, project management or you you, you develop process maps You have these actions and all of a sudden you get to an action and it says, okay, before I can take the next action, I have to take a decision. Do I do X, Y, or Z? Yes or no? And so my decision diamonds are the series of yes, no questions that LGBTQ folks have to answer before they can continue on. Hmm. And so I was faced with my first decision diamond in that situation when I decided, who is this jerk? Are they worth my time? Yes or no? Uh, Yes. Okay. Are they worth my time? Do I want to just listen more to what they say because I'm interested? And by Mm -hmm. the way, that's also pink camouflage that plays in here. But I have to decide then, do I say, well, I'm gay. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Am I willing to put up with the discomfort for the next four hours? Because now I've sat next to this jerk and he's the jerk, but now Mm -hmm. I got to sit by. So the point being we are faced every day with, Decision diamonds like this Mm -hmm. and they all happen in microseconds Mm -hmm. We are figuring out and we're so good at it because we've done it our whole lives Whether we were in peak camouflage or whether we were out. They're still there And so these decision diamonds can get pretty exhausting as well if we're having to figure out in every situation If this person doesn't know that we are a member of the LGBTQ community We have to go through a series of decision diamonds with that individual
1: there you go. I mean, no, you know, normally in a public sphere, I would just use stoicism for that and just be like, "I don't know, you're an idiot." I'm not going to waste my. I'm not going to think about you. But when you're, I imagine that happens in a work environment. And so, yeah. you know, you you're on a team with Bob. I always like to use Bob. Uh, you're on a team with Bob. I <laughs> oh, have a great employees name, Bob. This seems mean to. To train. It,
0: really, it reminds me of the bob newhart show in a yeah, yeah. I yeah that might be where story. i pull it
1: from but uh he was a great comedian um but uh you know you're on a team with bob i just like the sound of the name bob you know you can you can you can negate it with just bob like bob's an asshole just comes across <laughs> yeah. it. it just does it so well like jack doesn't do it bob <laughs> Fucking Bob, um, so you're on a team with fucking Bob, and uh, Bob, you know, spouts off what you heard on the plane, and you know, then you have a problem because you're like, do I have to continue hearing this for the rest of my career with this dude? Mm-hmm. I'm stuck on a team with him, and uh, you know, I again, those are the things that really don't need to be in the thing. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about the whole uh, uh, Adam and Steve thing is I've been single for all my life. Uh, and I have some issues with marriage and divorce, uh, as in like, I never, it's kind of like COVID. I never want to get it on me. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I'm always, I, there's a running punchline through my life and what I see in my life because I suppose my bias, but you know, I, I see everybody who tells me the hallowed nature of, uh, of marriage and you know, the sanctity of marriage crap. And you find out they're cheating and they got a mistress on the side and, You know, they end up divorcing, you know. It seems like every, you know, a guy who's a preacher is telling me, about how nature of whatever you know, it's got a hooker in the basement or something. I don't know, and you're just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, the the thing there. So I have a whole different bias to uh, you know. If you tell me you're married, I mean, if you tell me you're married, I was fine. I don't care. It's your world. Uh, have fun with that. But it's I just figured I would bring that up for the funness of it. Um, I, so, uh,
0: I, I have to say I love I love that uh, that analogy as well. I, I could tell you all of sorts marriage. of stories about the sanctity of marriage, and, yeah. and and I and I am married, and I'll tell you I yeah. I was to determined so my husband and i i was determined he said well why don't we get married we got married in 2016 and mm-hmm. he said well you know we could get married earlier i said no i want to wait till i can have the state seal of texas on mm-hmm. my marriage certificate that's another story for another time He's but, selling uh, my first 10x wives yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm just kidding that's a joke <laughs> so what i to your point about the about fucking bob because <laughs> i have experienced quite a few those guys in my life it's fascinating because this is something i have coached people in my coaching practice about as well when you in your, and again these power dynamics there's such a factor of where bob is in relation to you in the hierarchy yeah um, if you're entry level or junior and bob's more senior to you even if you have every right to report him or say something to him You ask yourself the question, what does this mean for my career and my opportunities for development and advancement? What assignments do I get if I say something? Am I branded the troublemaker? Mm. It's easier the further up you go and the likelihood increases that you are more senior to Bob because then you can say, hey, asshole. Let's have that conversation one on one. Come into my office and Ooh. see if you got a different response. Ooh. Because then the power dynamics shift. I'm not <laughs> saying that's the right way to do it, but there is some value in being able to leverage that power to influence for good.
1: Definitely, definitely. I mean, people just didn't bring their own personal biases into the thing. No one wants to hear politics at work. No one wants to hear your opinions, um, and, and all that interesting stuff. It, do you find uh, now? Evidently, you're practicing Christian still. Uh, What's it like to deal with all that in in the workplace? I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can run into in the workplace with with all the things you got going on there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say I'm no longer a Southern Baptist. I'm Episcopalian (laughs) now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Shocker, spoiler alert, but I am a practicing Episcopalian. And the, Mm -hmm. the thing that appeals to me so much about the Episcopal Church is that they have three mental points on a triangle uh there is uh, tradition scripture and reason and that last element of reason appeals to the intellectual in me we're all intellectual yeah but we we often go into into our faith putting our intellect aside and just say well that's god's will or god doesn't like it because we all s- assume we know what god's will is mm-hmm. and so we set that intellect And faith isn't about setting your intellect aside. It's about using your intellect to decide what you believe and what your faith is about. Mm. And so that's how my spiritual journey has evolved into what it is now and being able to use my intellect without apology. But it's funny that you talk about the workplace because uh, with Ernst & Young and with many large organizations, You might have people who you know are practicing Christians or Buddhists or Muslim or whatever it is, Jewish and on and on. And there's so much diversity in that. What I find challenging is in my coaching practice, I have been shocked when somebody, when people say, you know, I have people approach me in the hallway at work and ask if they can pray over me because I'm gay.
1: (laughs) Shit. I shouldn't laugh at that, but I mean, that is that's extraordinarily um, dumb that people do it, that. But
0: It is crazy. And so you <laughs> like you stupid- I can pray
1: for myself. I'm Christian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I pray over you for being stupid? Can a I baby? pray to I you mean, for being right? stupid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think Let's there's over- enough
1: prayers in the world to fix your stupidity. but Yeah. Let try.
0: me get all my other gay folks around me and we'll do a prayer chain for you. Uh, it is crazy that so some no. of the stuff that you see like that it happens and uh, this one example i uh i said well did you go to what you do did you go to hr and they said well this was the hr lead who asked to pray over me <laughs>
1: are you serious <laughs> <though?
0: Wow. laughs> i'm thinking you need to find another job but oh. the point is this is the kind of stuff that happens in uh, what i would what I would call less enlightened organizations. Mm. I appreciate that sounds a little patronizing, but the surprising thing is that it happens at all. Uh, But you have people who on top of having navigate the corporate ladder just from their own performance and capabilities in relation to being gay. Now you've got people who are bringing religion into it and asking them if they can pray over them to pray the gay away.
1: Jeez. That's a, that's one way to stack the HR complaint. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> right? Check all the boxes, <laughs> if you will. I shouldn't
1: laugh about that, but it is—it's so ignorant and stupid. I mean, it, the way I always run my company that I i just want you to do your fucking job and do the work you're supposed to do. Like all that other stuff, I don't want to hear about. Like I'll—I'll I'll yell at my employees if they spend like an hour on the phone with their girlfriends or wives. Cause I'm like, that I don't pay for that, man. You go right. home and do that. Right. Like, I don't know what you do anyway. Like, why would you talk to your girlfriend or your wife for two hours at work? You gotta go home and talk to her some more. Like, what, what the hell? Like, I
0: what else do you have to say during the day that you can't <laughs> like, wait to? Yeah.
1: Like, I mean, intending of your work is the time to get away from them, and, like get a break. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like uh,
1: my girlfriends that get five minutes, man. They get five minutes in a day. Maybe if they call twice, they got something they need to run by me or something. But it's like, no, I'll see you at home. I spend eight hours at work and I spend the rest of the time with you usually. And uh, yeah, I mean, I need some, I need, you know, I'm, I'm working here. I'm making some money, man. I got to pay for all that expensive <laughs> shit you buy on Amazon. <laughs> um,
0: I, I hear you on that. You know, yeah, it's great because so. I'm lucky because Simon is a teacher. And so yeah. he doesn't really have the time during the day to talk because yeah. he's always in class. And it drives him crazy because I'll text him, I'll say topics for discussion <laughs> this evening, and send like four or five. And <laughs> uh, this is why I'm not
1: yeah. married, um, the marriage jokes, so. but uh, you know, hey, hey, you guys have been married for a long time, you guys are happy, and, and all that good stuff. Um, so this has been really insightful, and uh, hopefully, given people, you know, we we put these on LinkedIn and LinkedIn newsletter. So, you know, there's a lot of HR people and hopefully some of them are learning. You joked about the HR person who, who did the Christian thing. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the one, the one thing to remember people is stupid is forever. As I think it was, uh, Ron Brown said one of yep. the Brown, something Brown stupid is forever. It's You can't fix it. So don't be stupid, or try not to be stupid, or at least try and fix your stupid. Or if you can't fix your stupid, do what Shakespeare said. It's better to be silent and not say what you think than to open your mouth, or than to be thought as stupid, than to open your mouth and prove it, Uh, which is... Probably should have done a long time ago with the podcast because everyone's been like, he's been stupid for 15 years. Chris Voss. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, give us your final pitch as we go out uh, about the book, about uh, people onboarding with your services and, uh, and picking up the phone and, or the email and, and, and connecting you with your coaching services.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. So final pitch I would say here is, yeah, I would love for you to buy the book. But more importantly, I would love for you to be your authentic self, mm. uh, whoever you are, wherever you are. And if you have trouble with that, reach out to me. If you don't want to reach out to me, reach out to someone. Yeah. Life's too short to yeah. live in hiding and to have those gauges decision diamonds draining all of your energy every day. Be yourself, and be it, authentic, and, and, and reach out to me.
1: There you go. And and, and uh, that, an add-on point, what you said, it's draining. It is draining when people hide who they are or they hide their trauma or they hide their issues. Um, they're living in the anxiety of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about trauma and different issues on the show and what people hide, what people mentally deal with. And the hiding is sometimes so much work for people. And it's so draining. And I mentioned this for the LGBT community, LGBTQ community. Um, and, uh, and And it's so much work. And you can't, you can't be, you know, I think be as creative and be as, you know, like you say, your authentic self and, and contribute as much as you possibly could and focus on your life when you're mm-hmm. focused on uh, like what you talk about, the pink camouflage. Mm-hmm. So I learned some new terms today. So there you go. That's why we do the show.
0: Great. I'm glad, that, glad to hear that.
1: Yeah, it's all about learn. It's all I learn more uh, off this show than probably anybody else does. Probably because I have to listen to every episode. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I hope our audience listens and learns because we need to progress and we need to be a smarter world and a better world for everybody. Because there's n- there's no one. You know, you look at you look at uh, you know the CEOs of of uh, Google. Uh, you know, he grew up on a dirt floor in India, Mm -hmm. um, poor, um, there's, uh, Steve jobs was an immigrant, uh, family. Um, you know, there is no, um, there's no one group of people in this world that have all the great ideas. They just don't. And the more this and faster this world, uh, revolves and goes, I mean, with AI, it's getting a little freaking out of hand. Even I'm at this point going, hang on, can we slow down a little bit? This coaster's going faster so um you know it's really important that we uh we give everybody a shot at the title um thank you very much for coming on the show kevin we really appreciate it
0: thank you for having me chris i appreciate being here I really enjoyed our time together
1: and thank you for coming and just remember i uh gave you the title of gentleman ease or whatever that sort of gentleman pit <laughs> i made up at the beginning we improv every ramble on the show and i just <laughs> wing it sometimes it's really funny and interesting sometimes i'm like where the hell did that come from but uh, that's the, that's the power of the stupidity of the ramble. Thanks uh, to my honest for coming in. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Without you, we couldn't do it at all. We've had some great reviews come in on the uh, on the uh, iTunes there. So if you get a chance, go give us a five star review over there. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, imagine having your beverage of choice while dishing with your bestie. Chris Voss is that smart and boisterous friend with decades of high and low experiences to draw from. It's a back and forth educational form where all can learn and grow lively, insightful, education banter five-star review from someone there on the itunes we certainly love you and appreciate you those people who take out their personal time to do it uh, go to goodreads.com fortress christmas linkedin.com fortress christmas youtube.com Chess christmas and all those places on the internet thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time and that should have us out